Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Calling Water. I'm Linda, and what we do on this podcast is learn from a passage from the Bible, not only its meaning, but also some things it calls us to do in the here and now. In today's episode, Troubled in Spirit, we're looking at Daniel chapter 7 and how, much like in Daniel's dream, the future often looks bleak, but we can find comfort in knowing that embedded in these glimpses of what's to come is a message of hope. Let's get started. Hey, Calling Water listeners. Thanks for sticking around for our series on Daniel this month. Uh, We're wrapping up with a look at one more chapter in the book of Daniel. But before we talk about that, I would like to introduce you to our guest for today. Um, We got acquainted really recently because she was speaking at an event I was invited to by a good friend. And I just sat there listening the entire time thinking, oh my goodness, I need to ask if she can come and share all this with our little podcast community. Um, Not only is she an accomplished academic, a community leader, and I'll let her tell us a little bit more about herself in just a second. um, We instantly bonded over the fact that we went to the same high school and were heavily involved in Key Club. I'm not sure if you wanted that information revealed about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, I am beyond thrilled that she is here with us. So Dr. Jason, welcome. Hello. It's an honor for me to be on this podcast with you. I'm really thrilled to be invited into this space. I'm an academic, a cognitive scientist, and totally secular in my actual line of work as a researcher, (laughs) an author, a speaker. And so it's really great to be invited into these um, spiritual spaces, Christian spaces, where I could talk about this other side of myself and be whole. I'm a cognitive scientist um, and a professor at Cal State LA, um, number one in social mobility, something that actually matters. Mm -hmm. And I live in Los Angeles. I've been a longtime um, member of uh, the inner varsity faculty ministry community. And that's the event that Linda, you were talking about. Um, We put on an event called Venn Diagram. We were inspired to bring Jesus and actual research together, especially after the last, gosh, six years politically, it's just been such a hot mess that we Mm -hmm. just felt like, you know, there's a lot of hard topics that Christians need to discuss and we need nuance. We need research. We need people who are thinking about what's happening in the future. We can't expect pastors to know everything about everything. (laughs) And so what we do is we bring in experts. We bring in people who really do this kind of research to give us the lowdown that Christians need to know as we think about the theology of living in this present, living with COVID, living with the internet, living with all the things that we live with, right? We need all of that knowledge in order to navigate today's world. I am so amazed by the work you do. Um, That's just, I mean, that's exactly what we need in this day and age. And I know saying this day and age is so cliche, <laughs> um, but it's so true because our our community, our, our society, everything is just rapidly changing and it's sometimes it's so hard to keep up. So I love that you're bringing kind of like faith and research together so we can kind of look at that and just make better choices as humans, I think. <laughs> yeah. And I think it shows us that living as people of faith, living as people who are trying our best to worship God, it is constantly being worked out every day. There's no easy answer, right? 
Like, I think that's why God tells us love God and love people. And we're constantly having to work out what does that mean today? How do I do that today? Well, um, I am once again, just so thrilled, just beyond elated that you are here today. So um, we are going to have some fun. (laughs) I'm really excited for everyone to hear this conversation. Um, So real quick, because we do want to talk a little bit about the scripture that's going to be the springboard for our conversation. Um, Let's talk real quick about what Daniel 7 is about. And it's a weird one, let me tell you. So far, we've just been talking about the major stories of Daniel and his fellow Judean exile friends who are thriving against all odds. And then we find out in Daniel chapter one that Daniel had this very unique gifting of receiving and interpreting visions and dreams. So for the rest mm. of the book of Daniel, chapter seven through 12 are like those accounts. Um, we're just going to look at chapter seven, though. And that takes us back to the era of King Belshazzar of Babylon. And listeners, if you remember, That's the writing on the wall guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Daniel talks about the strange dream he had. And it was of four weird looking beasts. Uh, Verse four describes the first one as a lion with wings of an eagle. Verse five describes uh, the second beast as something like a bear with three ribs between its teeth. And then verse six describes the third beast as something like a leopard with four wings like that of a bird's. And then finally, the fourth beast in verse seven is the most frightening, terrifying, and powerful of them all with large iron teeth and 10 horns. And then there's this strange thing where another horn rises up and then like (laughs) kicks three other horns out. And this horn has eyes and a mouth and it, and the text says it speaks boastfully, but all in all, very bizarre. Um, but as, you know, as the vision continues, even as his horn is going off, giving his, you know, villain monologue, a courtroom scene (laughs) takes shape and the ancient of days, presumably God takes his seat as judge and the horn and the beast, like, and the beast hosting the horn are eventually destroyed and thrown into a blazing fire. Then someone described only as the son of man comes down from the heavens and is given all the power, authority, and dominion by the ancient of days. So like I said, all in all, very weird. And verses 15 through 18 tell us that even Daniel was troubled and did not know what this meant. Um, And he says this, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached Mm. one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the most high will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So that's basically where we are um, when, when this chapter closes out with him realizing, okay, my dream means something about the future. And it's bad. Yeah, there is no <laughs> good interpretation of this where you're just like, oh, yeah, that seems like a delightful future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, full of details about how bad it is. <laughs> the thing is, for me, the power of this text is not in like prophetic accuracy because I know like mm-hmm. scholars have like talked about what this meant and what kings are they talking about? Like, was it Nebuchadnezzar and then Darius and then Alexander the Great and like Antiochus IV? Like in terms of our faith and practice, I feel like those details matter very little. And I believe the key mm-hmm. takeaway here is that basically... All earthly kings are fallible, and the stories in the previous six chapters of the book tell us how mighty their empire might have been, but as people, they crumbled under 
political pressure. But this son of man, this future king will be far superior and will establish a kingdom that will reign forever. And like that is the work we're a part of today, I believe, to further God's Mm -hmm. kingdom in ways that champion his goodness, justice, and compassion. But if I'm being honest, I don't know how well we're doing because (laughs) we as a church have never been so polarized. And I think because of this constant barrage of misinformation, that gap just keeps Mm -hmm. growing to the point where we lose sight of the kingdom altogether. And then, you know, back in Daniel's day, there was no such thing as data, not the way we know it today. So he had to Mm -hmm. rely on things like visions of these fantastic beasts and where to find Mm -hmm. them. Um, essentially. But today, I think if we pay attention to the trends of how we communicate or curate information, we can figure some things out. I'm so glad I get to spend this morning just thinking through Daniel with you because it is a vision of a future that is uncertain Mm -hmm. and a guarantee that there will be suffering ahead for God's people. Mm -hmm. And we won't be able to know like if, is this the beast? Is it not? I, I think that's the kind of historical interpretation you've been talking about. It's like, is it this person? Is it that person? Right. And right. at the same time, we have this promise that at the end, um, the sovereign one, right? The, the most high, um, the ancient of days will come and pronounce judgment in favor of the holy people. And I think it both scares and encourages me. <laughs> which is probably the right response, right? Yeah, it is a little scary to not know, but there is comfort in not knowing because then it allows us to cultivate our faith and trust. And in knowing that like we are doing what we're supposed to be doing and um, we can leave the results to God. And I think that's in a way very beautiful and liberating, if anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would love for you to just talk a little bit about that in terms of like, why is there this disconnect? Like how does information work or disinformation, if you will? And like, maybe give us some hope. (laughs) Yeah. Well, first I will drag you down to the depths. (laughs) Okay. Well, it gets worse before it gets better. Right. That's the saying, right? Right. Because you have to spend a lot of time on the beast and the horn and the little horn with eyes and talking. You got to spend a lot of time there before you see the ancient of days. Right. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. let's spend a a little bit of time on the beast and the horn, because I think in the modern world, what is the beast? What are these horns that are talking to each other? I think in our modern world, it's really hard to see. And I think that's the ultimate problem of disinformation. What is true? What is not true? What is trustworthy? What is not? That's a very hard thing for us to suss out. And let's be honest, none of us have got the time or the bandwidth to do it effectively. Yes. And that is becoming increasingly hard. So, you know, my research, um, it's actually funded by Facebook, but one of the things we think a lot about is how these networked systems work and how they evolve over time. And the real engine of the internet is mostly driven by advertisement, right? The reason that Twitter, Insta, all these things are free is that we are the product. Our attention is what is being harvested and sold to advertisers. And so much of my research is using that system to actually try to do good in the world instead of uh, trying to sell people trinkets. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
But that's a very hard thing to fight against because even though many of us are on these social networks, we don't often think about the underlying engine. Mm -hmm. And that underlying engine has a lot of smart people working every day to try and figure out what keeps you on this social media site, on YouTube, on whatever it is, name your favorite thing, TikTok. And they're every day doing experiments to figure out, hey, if we tweak our algorithm in this way, will you stay on longer? Will you engage a little bit more? Will you click? And that system has been working for a long time. Let's say, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it has been bringing to the forefront the things that capture human attention. And unfortunately, truth, nuance, and deep thinking, mm -hmm. <laughs> those are not the things we tend to click on. <laughs> no, no. Like they know how to grab the things that we didn't even know. Like I just learned I need this right now. <laughs> yes. Like nobody knew ASMR was going to be a thing that people would watch a lot <laughs> of videos of. Nobody knew that. Kids would love uh, videos of Easter eggs being open with just little knickknacks in there. Right. Those mystery boxes. <laughs> no one knew unboxing was going to be such a big thing. Right. Yeah. I remember when Ryan's World came on scene, I was like, are you guys literally just watching another kid open his toys? Like, this is fun. Right. Or like when Twitch came on the scene, like everyone's just watching people play games instead of actually playing games. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think if it was before, like, think 20 years ago, if I would have told you, hey, there's going to be major recording stars like Taylor Swift, mm -hmm. and she's going to make the same amount of money on YouTube as this lady that opens Easter eggs, <laughs> people would have been like, that's bonkers. <laughs> Sounds crazy. <laughs> but in 2014, DC Toys Collector, a lady who like opens Easter eggs, made the same amount of money essentially on YouTube as Taylor Swift did. That's wild, right? But it's not just that. I mean, it's wonderful that the internet knows that we want to watch mukbang and ASMR videos, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you might think, okay, it's weird, but kind of harmless. But there's a lot more that the internet has figured out. For example, it turns out that our attention is captured by things that make us extremely angry and mm -hmm. riled up. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know some of those things, but a lot of different bad actors could use that information to also capture our attention. And I think a great example of that is the Russian disinformation campaign had somehow figured out that there were rifts in American feminism, and they were able to use just different niche issues in American feminism to pit people against each other. And it's not that these Russian disinformation agents were like doing deep dives, just really philosophically thinking about feminist theology or feminist thought. They were right. just trying a lot of random <laughs> stuff. And they found out the things that made people mad and they leaned in and put a bunch of things on. And now we know about these disinformation campaigns, but these are just the ones we happen to know about. 
There are so many disinformation campaigns that we don't know are disinformation campaigns. It's the unknown unknowns, as Donald Rumsfeld once said, that are really scary. That is very scary. I mean, I mean, if we want to go back to Daniel, I think a lot of that was happening the entire time he was in the King's court, right? Like his, his competitors and opponents, they were spreading a lot of false information and leaning into all the wrong things to push their own agenda. Like, hey, King, you're the king. Therefore, you should be worshipped. And anyone who doesn't worship you should be punished. And like, yeah, that makes sense. But actually, no, it doesn't. Yeah. Which message is more appealing? Yeah. Like, I don't worship you, king. There is a king that's higher than you. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Not clickable. Yeah. So that is that is just so terrifying. So like other than the fact that all of this is just so readily available and not even just available, but basically encroaching into our spaces, mm-hmm. like why do you think so many of us are so willing to believe in and we're so susceptible to receiving that kind of information or wrong information? That's a great question. I mean, I think if you think about all the stuff that we happen to know, so much of it is built on trust. Mm -hmm. We trusted our teachers who taught us about George Washington and, and, you know, chlorophyll, like, do you know enough about chlorophyll to push back on the Krebs cycle? I don't, (laughs) right? I have a PhD, but it's like, there are lots of things that I know just because somebody else told me and Mm -hmm. I trusted them. Our achievement as human beings has been because we could educate each other. I don't have to discover chlorophyll and nebulas on my own. Mm -hmm. I could read about something that other people have discovered and just assume that what they said is true. Right. (laughs) If somebody tells me, hey, vaccines are great. They help the world have less COVID. Mm-hmm. It's great if I could trust them. I don't have to go and do my own lab-based research to verify vaccines. That's right. a wonderful world to live in. And that world is based on trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think the hard part of disinformation and why disinformation just really gets at the core of society's fabric is that it ruins that trust. It erodes that trust that is so necessary for us to continue to build upon what others have discovered, right? Mm -hmm. And that's becoming increasingly easier to fake. It's very easy to fake a tweet. It's becoming easier to fake a photorealistic image, right? Anyone who knows Photoshop, but it's becoming even easier than that to create Deep fakes, like videos of Barack Obama saying anything that you want him to say. Vladimir Putin saying anything you want him to say. There are these AI networks, for example, Stable Diffusion or Dolly 2, where you could just type in like a sentence. You could type in, oh, um, show me a picture of uh, 1960s style uh, people faking the moon landing and mm-hmm. there being like lights, camera, action. And it's like a studio set. And you could just type in gobbledygook regular sentences like that. And these stable diffusion sorts of networks can produce photorealistic images for you. 
Now that's a funny example because we're like, ha ha, we could fake the moon landing. Mm -hmm. But think about the next version where somebody fakes the next George Floyd video Mm -hmm. and puts it out there as real and it goes viral. And then people find out that it's not real. Imagine the distrust that you could foment. Yeah, it's it's so terrifying. And it's I feel like that's what it is. It's no longer like information battling information. It's just like, oh, there's information. Let me go and attack to the source, right? And then it just kind of gets into like just this massive war just back and forth and to the point where like people on the sidelines are just like, I'm not sure what's going on. So let me just go to the most convenient one. And like, this is what I'm going to believe. Or I'm going to have no conviction whatsoever because I don't know what to believe. And so all of that is just, it's frightening because, you know, like you were saying, it gets worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's my big message. It gets worse. The beast is coming. An even scarier beast. And you thought 10 horns was scary? Another horn is going to (laughs) rise. Right. And this one's going to (laughs) talk. And have little eyes. Creepy. That is not scary at all. Exactly. And I think that's the big thing. When you feel like you have to battle disinformation with information, it feels like such a weak tool. Right. And that's why I think in all my research and in the work that we do, we think a lot about, well, you got to think outside that box. You can't battle disinformation with information or truth, it turns out. Right. Disinformation erodes trust. And that is the heart of the problem. So what we have to do is battle that part. We have to strike back and build up trust in mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. and trust in our institutions. And building up trust might be the best way that we battle disinformation. And I think that's a very hard thing. But I think that's also the the idea in the kingdom. When you see the forces of evil, the idea is not to just battle against them with the same powers and principalities, Mm -hmm. but to battle against them using the backwards, crazy gospel of Jesus saying, all right, we're going to die to ourselves. That's going to be the solution. And it's going to like come out of left field. It's Uh going to be like, wait, what? You're not going to battle power with power. You're going to battle power with dying to yourself and love and with love and (laughs) compassion and spending time (laughs) with people, even though they believe the wrong things and Mm -hmm. say things that are against you, you're going to love your enemies and spend time with them and build personal connections to them and see people as valuable, not because of the virality of what they could bring you, but because you see them with the eyes of Jesus Christ. That sounds like a terrible solution. (laughs) It seems like it's the wrong scale. It seems like it's the wrong currency to Mm -hmm. battle this problem of disinformation. But Mm -hmm. I think that's what we as believers are called to because trust is a very hard thing to build up. Oh my gosh, yes, it is. And so easy to tear down. Oh, so easy. And you know what? People suck. They are the worst. (laughs) (laughs) 
we can all attest to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Spending time with people who are sinful and loving them, that is a very hard thing to ask people to do, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest questions that get asked is, well, how do I spend time with people who are like bringing up Alex Jones and like crazy things that they found on the internet and like being like, see, this is true, right? Right, How do I battle these people? Mm -hmm. And how could it be that the answer is to spend time loving those people (laughs) and to learn about them and to ask them questions about what they think and what they believe? Yes. When we're facing people who are obstinate about their so-called beliefs because they were told that this is true and they don't have any other sources and voices informing them otherwise, you know, once we come at them with even with something that we know to be true, it's not going to register. The only times I found it successful for me, even like marginally so, it was when I did ask the questions, when I was just curious about like, well, what led you to that belief? What led you to that thought? You know, like, why do you believe that's true? Well, tell me more, you know, and I think inviting mm-hmm. them to speak, they start dismantling their own line of reasoning, which is so yes. fun to see unfold before your eyes. You're like, uh-huh. Okay. All right. No, we have a little bit of a breakthrough. Let's, let's breach that gap just a little bit more. Yeah. And that is just, that in itself is just rewarding. But again, like you were saying, if that trust wasn't established, they wouldn't open up to me like that. They wouldn't tell me those things. They wouldn't want to be vulnerable. They'll just double down and be like, put up even more walls and get defensive. So that is just such a valuable insight. And so I think the kingdom view is such a long view of humanity Mm -hmm. to spend time with even people that don't believe the same things that I believe for a really Mm -hmm. long time. It requires that we love them you know? And I think that's something that you get in these in-person connections where you can't just walk away from people. On the internet, you could just walk away from them. You could just choose not to look at them. Right. But how many of us have been at church or just spending real time face-to-face with people where you can't just walk away from them because that'd be rude. (laughs) (laughs) And you just spend time with them And you spend time with people, even though you don't, you know, get something out of this interaction with them. And I think that's very different from the way that these social networks think about measuring humans. They Mm -hmm. measure humans in terms of what they could get out of you. But the kingdom of God, how should we measure humans? How should we measure our interactions with people? Should we only count it as successful if we convince them? right? Mm -hmm, How does mm -hmm. God measure our success? Does he only say, oh, you have converted this person. Oh, this person, oh, you, they got all the way to baptism. One point for you. (laughs) Is that how God measures it? Right. Or how does God look at the time we spend with people that nobody else wants to spend time with because they're crazy? Right. (laughs) Right. I feel like the things that, I mean, it's going on right now, like the observations you're making, the research you're doing. But I feel like different versions of this have been going on throughout history. And so I think that's why like books like 
Daniel and Revelation specifically have always made me feel a little uneasy because I grew up Pentecostal, you know, so we were like really fixated on the end times, the rapture and all the language around (laughs) judgment day. So like, I think it was a very, very like evangelical tool that's mm-hmm. been used throughout history to basically scare people into following Jesus, right? It's not about like, hey, like, let me love you and let me establish this relationship with you. It's more like, hey, if we don't do this, you're going to hell. And so I feel like to a certain degree, maybe it was effective to get people in the door because who wants to go to hell? But it was greatly lacking in that message of God's love and grace, and which is the foundation we need if we do want to have these tough conversations and like kind of be able to be more curious and open to like loving humanity the way God loved us. Mm Because, you know, like, can you imagine like the conversations that are going on in heaven about all that humanity presumes to know? (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that you say that because Daniel isn't just about the end times. I think when I see Daniel in the context of our conversation today about social media and how these companies and algorithms work, it's really about now. It Mm -hmm. is about us having the kingdom of God here on earth as we are also on Instagram and Twitter and, uh, and TikTok. Like the stuff that Daniel is talking about those forces are here right now. And I think anybody who has spent time on social media and felt bad afterwards uh-huh. has known that we need deliverance today. We yes. need something more than what this world has to offer today. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right that if we look deeply at Daniel 7, the beast is here, mm-hmm. you know? And Mm -hmm. the scary things are here already. And you know what? That beast is going to grow a little horn. So don't worry. It's going to get worse. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, TikTok's algorithms are evolving every day. These systems, what they're doing is they're sapping us of our free will. They're playing with our choice. You think we have a choice in how long we stay on YouTube? Well, Yeah, we do have some choice, but guess what? They're playing with that choice all the time. They're Mm -hmm. trying to figure out new ways of keeping us on there longer. Christians should also be concerned about these algorithms. Do we think we have a choice to do what is righteous and good? More and more that choice is being messed with. Right. It's even getting more muddy in terms of determining what is righteous and good. Right. And there are a lot of people out there doing awful, awful things, but believing they're doing the Lord's work. That's a really good point because there are so many micro celebrities out there that have a very sizable audience. You know, I spoke about Alex Jones. I think he's an example, but there are a lot of people who are the next Alex Jones and they're constantly coming up and they believe that they have the truth. And their listeners believe that what they're saying is true and everyone else is being a sheep. Yes. And and I think the call to us as believers is, do we hear our shepherd's voice? We're actually okay with being sheep as mm-hmm. long as we follow the right shepherd. That brings to mind a conversation that I saw unfolding on social media where it was two people arguing back and forth because they couldn't agree on 
who the goats were, you know, according to scripture, like the goats, <laughs> the goats are the one who infiltrate the sheep. So not goat as greatest of all time. <laughs> yes. Yes. We had to clarify that. But goats as goats versus sheep. <laughs> yes. Goat in the conversation, goats versus sheep. Um, one side was like, oh, we got to pay attention to those people. They're the goats who are coming in trying to lead the sheep astray. And that that same person is like, no, actually, you're the one that's the goat uh-huh. leading the sheep astray. And it's like, if you were just to read this, you would literally just be like, I don't know who's right. You're the misinformation. No, you're the misinformation. Well, I have information that says you're the misinformation. And I have photos. (laughs) Sometimes when I give these talks about social media and the algorithms behind it, um, sometimes people ask me, so should I just give up social media? Should I give up on using Google? And I'm like, let's be honest. We're in a modern Mm. world where you probably can't effectively give up using Gmail, even if you wanted to. I think what I want Christians to start doing is having conversations with other Christians, explicitly knowing that this is the world we live in. Mm -hmm. I don't want us to navigate this world thinking that we could just be blind to what's happening. Mm -hmm. I want people to know that they are, their attention is the thing that's being harvested. We can't just stop using these things. Some of us can, but many of us can't. And so I want Christians to start having a theology of how we're going to navigate this world and what it means to engage in these conversations. I need us to know that We could walk away from people on social media, but what does that mean for us as a church? Right? Can we walk away from people? Mm -hmm. And I think the church might become the last bastion where we don't walk away from people just because we disagree with them. But I'm worried. All the um, polarization you are talking about, Mm -hmm. the church is increasingly becoming fractured. And I know you and I are Korean and the Korean church is famous for fracturing churches, right? Like you don't like something, you start your own. We break (laughs) off and make a new church. Yes. We we are the the number one group (laughs) at doing that, right? Um, But I think we as a church need to think about how is it that we achieve the vision of being the people of God? And how do we fight against all the forces of the world that are trying to fracture us into micro communities that just talk to each other and amplify each other? Mm -hmm. How do we become the community that fights against that? I love the story of the great divorce by C.S. Lewis. And at the beginning, there's kind of this vision of hell. And in hell, it's it's called Graytown. And everyone is kind of flimsy because even all the molecules are moving farther apart from each other. And when people don't like something that their neighbor does, they just move farther away. And so Graytown is characterized by people just moving farther and farther away from each other. Mm-hmm. But heaven is the opposite view, mm-hmm. where the imagery in the great divorces version of heaven is that everyone moves closer to God. And so because we're moving closer to God, we are also moving closer to each other. And even our bodies are becoming more dense and grounded because our molecules are becoming 
closer and closer together. And so that's the vision of heaven. And we're becoming more grounded and solid and interconnected. And I love that version because that entails us both growing closer to God and growing closer to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think in the social media and landscape, the view is that we could just fracture people and get them to move farther apart and spend less time engaging with each other. And the view of heaven is to spend more time connecting and trying to connect with each other and trying to connect with real humans, trying to connect to God. And I think that's the harder call, but in the end, a more worthwhile use of our time. Yes, absolutely. Like I, that imagery is so powerful for me because like, especially the contrast between like dense and less dense, like Mm -hmm. in Greytown, because they are so spread apart, they're like little gas molecules, right? And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's easier to poke holes through them and Mm -hmm. it's easier to pick off one of them at a time because they're isolated. And I think that's where the attack is happening. And that's just why, I mean, we are the opposite of community in so many ways. And I like that because as we grow closer to God, we do grow closer to each other because mm-hmm. there is that that central focus that's pulling us in. I think that's very beautiful. The biggest temptation for us will all be disengagement, mm-hmm. to just scroll, to not spend that time engaging in the hard things. Right. But I think, you know, local politics, activism, all of those things are really hard things to engage in that have a lot of nuance. There's nobody who's all bad and all good in those spaces. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. no policies that are all bad and all good. Right. And I think the only way that even someone like Daniel was able to engage in these visions that were really hard to interpret, really hard to grapple with, was that he had those friends that helped him stay in it. So I I love that we started off with Daniel. I feel encouraged today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's encouraging for me. (laughs) I actually would highly recommend a book by Tim Wu called The Attention Merchants. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful book. He's a Columbia law professor who thinks about the history of how all these economies have risen up to try and capture our attention, Mm -hmm. which is a scarce resource. I also highly recommend um, T. Chi Nguyen's book. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a wonderful book called Games, Agency as Art. And he really talks about how games, the wonderful thing about games is that games manipulate our agency. Mm -hmm. By having certain rules, it makes us make certain choices. Mm -hmm. When they introduce the three-point shot, into basketball, it changed the game of basketball. Uh It actually spread out the game. Mm. People used to hover right around the bottom of the basket. But now because of the inclusion of the three-point shot, Mm -hmm. the game has radically changed. But all these social media uh, networks could be thought of as games. Mm -hmm. They give you points as likes, as views, as shares. And That's manipulating how we spend time, how we read, how we think. Mm -hmm. And it's a really great cautionary tale to us of how games are manipulating our free will. 
And also, I I heard from a little bird that you also create like little <laughs> cheat sheets for like local policies and things like that. <laughs> we know that part of local politics is that it's just so many things that right. so many of us don't know. And so our church network epicenter new life community church we put together a cheat sheet about a week before elections come out we put out a cheat sheet every um every, every time like there's a, a primary every time there's an election we put out a cheat sheet and it's all made by christians who are just trying their gosh darndest we don't always make the right calls but we're trying really hard and we're trying to do it being mindful of the things that Jesus would want us to be mindful of. Yes, I love that cuz I mean again, we can't battle disinformation with information, but we could use all the information. <laughs> exactly. And and really that's why it's about trust. Like do you trust our church community that we are trying and mm-hmm. even though we're going to make bad calls because we don't have perfect information, we can't predict the future perfectly, we are doing it in a prayerful God-fearing community and trying our darndest to help one another. Well, um, I will drop whatever resources or links that you want to send me. We'll put it in our show notes so our listeners can get access to it. Or y'all can just, you know, get a hold of me and I will get you to the right places. Awesome. (laughs) Well, G, thank you so much for spending time with me on this podcast and just for just sharing the things that you're seeing and about how the future just seems to progressively get worse on this current trajectory, <laughs> but also- And it's ins- growing a horn. <laughs> yes. And it, the horn is just weird, uh, but we there is still some hope instilled in your message because you know we as a church can do more than just watch it happen. So mm-hmm. yes, this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me on- It's so great to have these kind of spaces. Thank you so much. Well, friends, wasn't that some good stuff? G shared some eye-opening research and observations with us about what's really going on in this information age. How do you feel? For me, hearing all of these things presented like this made me feel a little like Daniel, who was receiving these visions about the future and these weird mythical beasts and how he admitted to feeling troubled in spirit and how the visions that passed through his mind disturbed him. Now, I think we do live in a really cool era with all the technological advances and the access and convenience it affords us. But at the same time, it's very unsettling to know how easily the acquisition of knowledge could be manipulated and can even be doled out for sinister purposes. And I think that's really the nature of the beast, quote unquote, we're dealing with here. You know, God was revealing in part to Daniel just some of these mysteries of what the future holds in this kind of piecewise way. Not so that he can go out and identify which kingdoms align with which beast, for example, but so that it would inspire hope and faithfulness. The message is, yes, the world created by human civilizations have been, are, and always will be kind of weird, selfish, and scary. We will continue to use disinformation and prejudices to spread animosity and 
break down both our ability and our will to foster genuine connections. But regardless of how disturbing this future is, we have hope knowing that we can be agents of the good kind of change where we work at manifesting the kingdom in the ordinary. So let's try that this week and every week after that. First of all, pay attention to the information you're being fed, sometimes force-fed, and the information you're forwarding to others. Now, I'm not saying that we have to be constantly skeptical, but do your homework. Don't let the internet and the many trolls who live there tell you what you should believe about God or anything else. Be also discerning about who you turn to, because while some voices in your life should be amplified, there are some voices you could definitely afford to tune out completely. Then, reach out to some trusted sources with an open mind. Like we talked about on a previous episode, adopt a learning posture. And on that note, don't be afraid to engage with people you disagree with. But instead of putting on your fight face for an information fact check dance off, approach them with curiosity and compassion. It's that relationship that will soften their hearts to your message and ultimately trust the words. Let's pray. God, there are many things about the trajectory that this world is on that, like it did for Daniel, troubles our spirit and disturbs our mind. But through the noise, chaos, and confusion that is propagated through media and disinformation camps, give us wisdom to not only identify what is true, but also to share that knowledge with others from a place of humility, curiosity, love, and grace. Help us not to obscure your words with fighting words of our own, but to seek first your kingdom, a kingdom that is above all kingdoms, a kingdom that is eternal, a kingdom that is good, and a kingdom that invites everyone to the table. In Jesus' name, 